I recently switched out my winter wardrobe with my summer clothes. Do you do this too? Each time I have the opportunity to take stock of what I have, what I use, what I need to donate, and what gaps I'd like to fill. One of the funnest ways I've loved to fill those gaps is through Armoire, a clothing rental membership that can help you build the perfect summer wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your online closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles that help fill those wardrobe gaps without the major investment or commitment. For my first case from Armoire, I chose mostly summer dresses from Bowdoin, a brand I can't typically afford, and the chicest double-breasted black blazer from Paige that has honestly surprised me in its versatility. I have loved having more options in my summer wardrobe without the pressure of keeping them forever, and I've already been building out my online closet with Armoire, so I know what I want for my next case. For you expecting mamas, those working or style obsessed who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to About Progress. I'm your host, Monica Packer, and I'm excited to deliver this special episode to you today. For a few months, I have been promising and hinting to a few things, but one of them being to tell you a little bit more about my own story and how learning to lean into progress over perfection absolutely transformed my life from the inside out and how that has also translated to the work that we have done together and about progress in this community. For the past few years, especially, there has been a thread interwoven with every single interview and solo episode I've done, every single thing I've taught to my coaching clients and beyond, a thread of identity. Identity is knowing who we are and what matters to us. Are you able to answer those two essential questions? Who are you and what matters to you? If not, That is why I am so excited to be launching my brand new foundational six-week course called Finding Me. It will help you uncover who you are and what matters to you so that you can belong to yourself again. And with that, find an increase in authenticity and confidence and personal alignment. About Progress is here because of my own path of feeling so lost in my life and how as I work to uncover my truest identity, I have been able to rise above where I was, to feel found, but also align my choices and my life with with who I know I am and what matters to me. It's enabled me to grow in exponential ways from the inside out. And that is the work that we do here together and about progress. But if right now you are feeling lost in your life, if you don't know who you are anymore, And if you are ready to be found, to belong to yourself again, to be able to make clear choices and to feel more authentic to who you are, you must start with this course, Finding Me. Today, I am going to share with you the introductory lesson to the course, like the whole full lesson for you. I'm really excited to do that for a number of reasons. One, you get to hear the origins of my own story and why this community is around Two, you'll be able to connect a lot with me and the struggles that I have faced, which I think is a big um, way that we are unified as a community, a shared struggle. And three, I think it will help you sample what this course is about. 
Now, before I share the introductory lesson, I just wanted to let you know that I have a one-time discount happening until Thursday night at midnight Pacific Standard Time. You can get Finding Me for 30% off with the code FOUNDER. That's all caps, FOUNDER. I'm reserving this for my founding students, the people who were brave and bold enough to raise their hand and say, me, I wanna take part of this. I don't care if you don't have a million testimonials. I know this course is in its early stages. I'm ready. I'm ready to sign up. Again, that's founder for 30% off. And I will never discount this course to the public again. It will always be there for you, though. If you miss that deadline, it's still there for you. I look forward to hearing how this, this introductory lesson resonates with you and how it impacts you. And I also look forward to seeing you in Finding Me. And that is linked for you in the show notes. And you can also go to aboutprogress.com forward slash finding me. That will always be the link aboutprogress.com forward slash finding me. This introductory lesson is definitely more personal than I tend to get here. And so I thank you in advance for listening, for listening to my story. Welcome to Finding Me, my foundational course for about progress. Right now, I know you are feeling lots of things. Excitement over what's to come in this course, a willingness to dig in, hesitation over if you can really change, if this will help you, but a readiness to try. And I'm sure there's a lot of other feelings in there. Six months before my 30th birthday, the main feeling I had was lost. I covered that up, this lost feeling with other emotions that kind of were more on the surface and blocking that lost feeling. I more resorted to feeling numb, angry, resentful, and disappointed. Now, all those feelings came to head for me in the most ordinary of moments. I remember quite distinctly sitting in the front seat while my husband drove us to his parents' house for dinner. The rain was coming down and the sun had gone down very early. And as I looked out of the window, I was reflecting because the calendar on my phone that I had on my lap was showing that it was six months until my 30th birthday, a milestone birthday for anyone to be certain. But as I was approaching that milestone, I felt really disappointed in myself. I felt disappointed that I was so lost and stuck and unfulfilled in my life. So much so that I felt a tremendous amount of guilt. While nobody's life is easy, by all standards, I I had it good. I had a kind husband, a little home to call our own, and three small children. We never went hungry. We never went cold. We had the things we needed and the things we had wanted our whole lives to have that family and home. So why, I asked myself, could I have the audacity to be feeling these things? Why could I have the audacity to feel lost and stuck and unfulfilled? But the truth of those feelings was so apparent. That truth could not be denied anymore. The more I tried to outrun or outnumb those feelings of being lost, the more they seemed to find me and with increasing intensity too. And that resulted in moments that I was not proud of. From me screaming at my small kids when they spilled a bottle of bubbles on a rug, to being so furious while sweeping up the crumbs a few times a day that I could snap their broom in half to me avoiding looking in the mirror in long stretches of time because I could not bear to see the hollow, dead eyes looking back at me. Those little moments came up in tidal waves and they showed me that I was not myself. This wasn't me. And I did not like who I had become anymore. It was really confusing and painful for me to recognize who I had become, because I had tried to be so good for so long, 
So why did I feel so bad? Why did I feel like my life, however good and worthy I knew logically it was, why did I feel that it was absent of larger meaning, greater purpose, and deeper fulfillment? Today, I'm going to share with you the origins of the course that you are enrolled in right now, Finding Me, and how what I have to teach you over the next six weeks came directly from my own moment of riding in this car and realizing, really realizing and owning that I was lost, but it was time for me to be found. It was time to find me. To do justice to the origins of this course, you'll have to forgive me, but we are going to have to start way, way back. The first time that I felt like I wasn't enough was in seventh grade. Before then, I was a really determined child. I was super creative, a reader. I spent a ton of time climbing trees and being outside and imagining and coming up with the latest way I was going to go door to door in my neighborhood and sell things to make some money. While I wasn't this super like cheerful, bouncy kid all the time, I was totally me, messy, complicated me, but me. While I wanted to do well in school and within other areas of my life, being a good daughter, a good friend, a good follower in my faith, I typically measured my efforts as good enough. I didn't push myself to the extremes because I felt like it was enough. But that changed in seventh grade in a very slow and very non-dramatic way, but a way nonetheless that started a pattern in my life, a pattern where I gave myself away to others, to aspirations, to my body, and more. Like most kids, I really struggled to find my place at my new junior high school. I felt super confused while my my old elementary friends wouldn't let me sit by them at lunch anymore, or how these cool kids, which seemed to be a thing, were all able to congregate in a certain block of the main hub of the school, and I did not know how to insert myself there or find a place there. And I couldn't put to words what was happening, but it was very well communicated to me that I did not belong where I wanted to be. So instead of playing the cool kid game, I decided the only way was to overachieve. I might not fit in, but I could outperform them all. You know, from pushing my way from the last chair to the first chair as a flautist and band, to getting straight A's, to working until my legs shook in my daily ballet classes. I became desperate to prove my worth. None of those activities were inherently bad, but they absolutely did damage to me in the long run. And why? It's because those hectic attempts I was engaging in to prove my worth were in fact misplacing my worth. They were the first defining ways I experienced what you will hear me repeat a lot, a misplacement of identity. And the worst part is that for some time, it seemed to work. I might not have fit in with the cool crowd, but I found my group among the goody two-shoes nerds. And even with them, I found myself keeping them at arm's length. I sought to not just belong, but to be on a pillar above them. I was able to float above all groups and all people, you know, with my apparent kindness and goodness and my untouchable acts of applauded achievements so that I could see myself as enough. The problem was, though, it was never enough. I was always pushing for higher, for better. Any forms of goodness or achievements around me from other people threatened me, not just my status, but my worth. So I strived for more and more for my own outcomes and the achievements I was getting from my, to my appearance. It was never enough. This is when I also began what became a decade of disordered eating, of body dysmorphia that ruled my mind and my actions for many years to come until they nearly robbed me of everything I cared about. And worst of all, they completely robbed me of my truest self of my identity. 
But for many years, I was able to float by by floating above others. Until my senior year, I really reached what I thought was the pinnacle of all good things. I was a student body officer, which was something that mattered a lot in my high school. I was the lead flautist of the advanced wind ensemble. I was the lead in a, in a really awesome production and the understudy in another major one. I was the dancer, the AP student, the all-around very, very good girl. You know how most kids are so ready to leave high school and go to college? I so was not. Because everything I knew about myself and my identity was wrapped up into the things I did and the ways that I appeared. And however good and worthy those things were, they were all about to be stripped away. I truly mourned the end of my senior year because it felt like the end of me, a dawning end that had been growing inside of me for well over a year. In fact, the spring before I graduated from high school, I went down to the college that I was accepted to, Brigham Young University, to try out for their musical productions group. I didn't even make it past the first cut. I used to be one of the best, and now I was absolutely one of the worst. Throughout my senior year, as I looked ahead to that dawning loss of myself, I felt an increase in insecurities with my body because of some changes that it held while late compared to other women, you know, because of my extremely low body fat. I didn't get my period until I was almost 16 and I had changes in my body. And this led to a really heightened and growing anxiety each time I stood in my leotard in front of the mirrors in ballet class. So much so that I not only experienced a dramatic weakening in my skills, but I also lost the joy and the passion that dance had brought me for 14 years. My insecurities were driving the way I even danced. After I wasn't accepted to that musical productions group, I didn't even dare try out for anything else. None of the dance groups, none of the band groups. I didn't pack to move to my dorm until the day before at the end of the summer. And I found myself laying amongst all the things, all the many ways of proving my worth from my, my student body officer jacket to my flute, to the pictures of my friends, the amazing things we did together. I just laid among it all, sobbing. When I went to BYU, I never felt more alone in my life up until that point, while I was walking amongst tens of thousands of students on my new campus. I was now a tiny fish in the biggest ocean. I somehow tried out for the band later in that fall. I decided I was going to gear up and, and do it, and I didn't get in again. Well, they did let me into their lowest band level, but after one class with them, I never came back because it only reminded myself that I was not good enough for the greatness that I wanted, the greatness that I wanted to prove of my own value. Part of being BYU is having a lot of fun, especially freshman year, but I was not a fun co-ed. I didn't find it easy to fit in, even with my roommates, and I found myself on the sidelines over and over again and unwilling to try to insert myself into the, these already clear divides of who I was able to hang out with, I experienced a huge misplacement of identity. In the early spring of my freshman year, I experienced a truly soul-crushing heartbreak when my boyfriend of almost a year thought that the boyfriend I thought I would spend forever with, and I was promised that too, abandoned me without much of an explanation and then replaced me with what I saw as a more beautiful version of me, a skinnier version too. I didn't really intend to, but I was so heartbroken by this loss of not just him, but of my whole future and my whole self that I found it really difficult to eat and take care of myself. I instead was consumed by my loss and this loss of myself. No matter how hard I prayed or fasted or cried or sought for help, I couldn't seem out, seem to get out of this sinkhole that I was in. And that spring of my freshman year really took me to my lowest of lows. I had misplaced my identity in that boy. I'd also misplaced it in my old achievements 
that others used to admire and my talents that I could no longer prop up as my worth and the friends I didn't fit in with. Again, there were only two ways that I could build that self up in my mind. And I didn't even do this uh, cognizantly. I just did it because I knew I could prop myself up again with a perfect GPA and a perfect body. School was something I had always been good at. It required no risk for me to throw myself into my studies because I've always loved to learn and I knew what it took to get excellent grades. And while I hadn't intended to get so thin while recovering from my broken heart, I really liked what I saw. I was finally as real thin as I had attempted to be for close to a decade prior when I usually ate only one to two meals and went months and months without eating sugar at a time, but it never seemed to be enough. And I finally was that body in that body that I'd always wanted to be. My skinny body and my grades felt like the only thing I could be proud of right now. But even more, they also felt like the facade I wanted the world to see in me and admire in me, one of perfection. Again, I couldn't fit in with them, but I could be above them. And like it did before, it worked for a while. I was able to maintain my low weight for for quite a bit. My grades excelled, and so did my professor's notice of them. For years, my entire time at BYU, my lowest grade was a B plus in my Book of Mormon class of all things. (laughs) And that happened to be the terrible spring of my freshman year. I felt strongly that there was a future in academia for me. And I set my sights on big horizons with my future, maybe as a college professor. I felt that a PhD was certain for me, and I already began to research how well before graduation. I also had another serious boyfriend for a time too. He somehow became an excuse for me to not be included in the social scene around me for almost a year. Something that was equal parts frustrating for me to not be included or to be asked to things, but having this unofficially engaged boyfriend on my side kept me a little safe from further rejection from the people around me and the new place I was living in my sophomore year. But that boyfriend, he could never really make up his mind about me, so I was able to keep myself at arm's length from him. And Gradually, I made the decision for us to part ways. Better to leave when at the peak of being wanted than to be smashed to bits again. Now, we weren't right anyway, and I was able to move forward, but I can see now that I was still keeping myself beyond and above people. After my sophomore year, I was so excited to get accepted into a study abroad program in London, England. There were very few spots, and I was one of them. London was the epicenter of all the things I loved, art, history, literature, culture, and academia. When I went there, my time was full of opportunities my family could have only dreamt of. I was the first to leave the States beyond some LDS missions that were served by my dad and my older brothers. I was the very first to leave for anything beyond that. And for the first time, I really found myself totally fitting in with the wonderful students there, fellow nerds, right? We studied literature, we went to plays and musicals several times a week together, we explored all over London and parts of Scotland and France too. Every day was full. And yet, I felt so empty and numb inside. I also felt really, really hungry. Instead of being joyful instead of being fully present in my studies and my once in a lifetime opportunities, I found myself totally engrossed of my thoughts of food and my body. In attempts to not gain the study abroad 15, I responsibly eliminated a few food food groups and I stopped eating after dinner, which ended at 5.30 p.m. every day. I went to bed hungry And I woke up dreaming about food to go on my early morning runs. And while I stood staring at, you know, interesting diptychs at an important cathedral or observed fields of poppies from our tour bus or studied poetry made by and within the literal trenches lived by the poets of the Great War, I imagined every detail instead of the perfect ice cream scoop from Coldstone or was willing myself to wait just one more hour before I was allowed to eat the cucumbers and the piece of bread I had allotted myself for lunch that day. I had become 
an anorexic, but all with good intentions, just to be healthy and to be strong. But also, if I were being honest with myself, which I can be now, to be admired and to be worthy. But even that anorexia didn't last long because I had had nearly a decade prior of restricting myself over and over and over. I was not able to keep up with it. I had my first real binge while on that trip. My grumbly stomach led me to a few granola bars I had in the drawer below my bed around eight at night. The first granola bar didn't touch my hunger and I found myself uncontrollably eating three in a row. And to me, that felt like the biggest failure. I felt sick, but sick with myself. I was disappointed in my lack of willpower for my break and resiliency. And I went to bed horrified and I turned my back so my many roommates couldn't see me and cried myself to sleep out of utter terror. Up until that point in my life, I had only known control control around the way I thought, the way I acted, the way I exercised, the way I studied, the way I ate. I had only known control for almost 10 years, but I hadn't known this. I hadn't known this break in control, this almost biological urge to to binge. I did not know the shame over overeating. I didn't know who I was without that control. And I felt totally lost in the horror of that moment. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I managed to finish my trip by heightening my determination, and I was both surprised and proud to come home 10 pounds lighter. But after my return, I spiraled quickly once back in a new apartment with new roommates. I could not seem to determine my way around food anymore, and I was truly horrified and ashamed of who I was becoming, a binger. I had big moments of eating entire boxes of cereal and polishing off an entire loaf of pumpkin bread, of stuffing my mouth and punishing my body for hours after my roommates went to bed. And all of this filled me with an ever-increasing and all-consuming terror, especially because I found myself unable to make myself throw up. My body could not do it. I also never seemed to find the laxatives I knew were in my apartment after digging through my roommate's medicine when when they went to bed. But somehow I also knew that if I were to go down that road, I'd never be able to go back. So I found other ways to make up for those binges. I exercised incessantly. I fasted to overcome my issues. And I'm talking about the religious fasting, but it was intense and days long. It wasn't a good kind of fast. I tightened down on how little I could eat for my meals, and I constantly, constantly lived in great fear over food and when my next binge would be. And the changes this hideous cycle were bringing to my body was something that I was further ashamed of. I really blamed myself. I was deeply ashamed to admit that I had an eating disorder. I thought maybe I did, but the wrong kind. I did not have the kind of eating disorder that was good and worthy in my mind. My years and years of restricted eating were something that I, that I could be admired for by others in the past, but not this kind. I couldn't uphold the restricted eating like I was in the past. My body refused to cooperate any longer. I was now a binger, the type of person with no control. I never dared speak the words aloud for years that I was a binger. 
that I had a binge eating disorder. I wasn't even able to speak those words when I brought myself to a free counseling office after weeks of contemplating in great detail how I could kill myself or the many times I barely stopped myself in time from stepping in front of a car while waiting at a crosswalk. I knew I needed help. I felt totally lost, totally misplaced, and I had no way of seeing how I could possibly find my way back to the old version I thought I was that I was, the one who was in complete control. While I spoke those words out loud to no one, there was someone I did dare ask if this was a problem, if this binging was actually an eating disorder. It was my therapist at the time, and I was completely relieved when he said a very clear and definite yes this is an eating disorder. It made me blame myself just a teeny bit less. As with most addictions, I got way worse before I got better. I suffered daily through what became huge panic attacks, moments of scary anxiety, and of deep, deep depression. Each binge I experienced would send me into another cycle of purging through exercise, of balancing out with even more restriction. In one group therapy session, I was so saddened to learn from another girl in our program that I would not be able to serve a mission with my condition because she was told she couldn't. So I put that dream I had had for many years aside. Throughout this worst year of my life, I kept it all to myself. Beyond my therapist, I never spoke to my roommates, to my friends, to my family. I was too ashamed to share, too desperate to maintain this facade of perfection, of not needing help, of being above them. I did not want them to see me for what I was, human. That's all except, sort of, for one person, one boy, a tall, young young man with red hair and a great smile. His name is Brad. There was something about Brad that made me feel safe. When I was being mistreated by another boyfriend, I sat behind Brad at a fireside and I looked at the back of his head and I had this very clear and unexpected thought. Now there's a boy who would take good care of me. There's a boy who would love me. We had gone on a few of the best dates of my life before I went on my study abroad, and I was totally Twitterpated in London when I got a daily email from Brad or a routine package with mixed CDs made just for me. But before my return back to Utah, with my mounting sense of panic over my loss of control, a loss of myself, I returned home unable and unwilling to be close to him, or anyone for that matter, to let anyone see the real me. I was honest in some ways with Brad after my return and for what could was, you know, again, six months of panic attacks, therapy, binges, and purges. I told him that I couldn't date anyone, but I didn't really tell him why. I was only able to barely hint at what I was experiencing months later after he begged me for a chance, just a chance to date. But it was easier for me to keep this facade of who he thought I was than who I knew myself to be a total failure. So while I was drawn to Brad as a dear friend, I could not feel anything more. I couldn't let myself feel. So I was totally numb inside, not to just myself, but to him and to everyone around me. But mid-year, that mid-first year of my recovery, Brad drew a line in the sand. I saw two paths ahead of me. And one of them was me giving Brad a chance and one was without me giving Brad a chance. I decided to take me trying to give us a chance, even though I wasn't fully formed and ready to, to share myself with another. Luckily, our deep friendship became the foundation of what became a wonderful relationship and a marriage eight months later. While I was doing far better in my recovery, I still felt consumed with loss, a loss of how I viewed myself, And as I became a newlywed and we moved into my new home and a new life in California, I also felt this loss of my future self and the things I had wanted to do and the things I wanted to, the ways I wanted to become. Part of that involved motherhood. I knew I wasn't ready to be a mother at 21 years old that I was when I was married, but I also knew that that was my expected role. And while I wanted to be a mother eventually, I felt some inner resistance that 
maybe this was the only thing I was made for that I was good for. I didn't like that. But at the same time, I was at another crossroads, a crossroads to eventually being a mother or eventually getting my PhD. We got married at what became the beginning of the recession. Brad ended up being laid off the first year that we were married. And while I desperately wanted to get my PhD, the road before us included nine years of schooling and likely hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to get me there at a time where we had nothing. And while I knew I wasn't ready to be a mother right then at 21 years old, I knew that I likely would want to be long before those nine years were completed. And I also had to acknowledge with disappointment that I was not strong enough mentally to do both. I didn't even consider doing both, being both a mother and a PhD candidate as an option for myself. So I felt a loss of my future there. Instead, I found myself settling for plan B, a worthy plan though. I became a teacher and after my three years of training and teaching, I became a mother. For those three years, I did my best to be good, but I mostly floated internally. I didn't let myself dream too much because it hurt. I didn't make big goals for myself because I didn't believe I'd be able to achieve them. Without all the accolades from school and the passions I once held and the recognition I was used to having, it was easier for me to pretend that those things didn't matter anymore. So I floated instead. When I became a mom, I threw myself into my role. My newborn needed that kind of mother too. She was immediately an extremely sensitive child. So seriously so that I searched the bookends of the internet constantly and went to so many doctors trying to figure out how to soothe her. She screamed for much of the first year, and I did everything I could to calm both her body and her mind. And I was dismissed over and over again by every professional, so I had to persevere on my own for my child. I threw myself into that role, and happily so. Then 21 months after my first child came, our second baby was born, a boy. He was so chubby and darling, and much of his babyhood and toddler years is a total cloud to me because I was trying to balance my oldest being extremely sensory avoidant while her new brother was increasingly seen as sensory seeking. They were polar opposites in every way. And it quickly became evident that they were also opposite in their very present, very high and very demanding needs. I became stretched in every way possible. And then we welcomed our third child, another son, Three children were born in just under four years, two of whom were battling out every second of every day, and my husband was almost never home thanks to some very intense work. He was, so, he was gone so much that my oldest, my very literal daughter, called him Brad instead of dad for almost two years. It was during this time that I became someone I not only did not know, but I did not respect. I became triggered into rages by the simplest of tasks. I alternated extreme sadness and complete numbness. Alongside my struggles as an early mom, my faith had also struggled mightily for years and years. And these struggles were now surmounting to a peak as I navigated the same questions that I had had over and over and begged for answers over. Who am I as a woman to the Lord? What is my value as a woman within my faith structure? I found myself unable to reckon any of it, to find any answers. And by that point in my life, I felt completely abandoned by God, a God that I had worshipped and sought to serve and to do well by my entire life, a God that I had felt supported by up until my 20th year. Without the strong base of a relationship with God that I had my whole life, I had no idea who I was outside of that too. And my marriage was suffering as well. How could it not? As much as I loved Brad and did my best to uphold my role as a wife to him, I found it far easier to do just what was seemingly good and acceptable on the surface, but to still keep him at arm's length all the while, to still never let him see me as the broken real human that I was, to let him know that I was an empty vessel inside. 
No matter how hard I worked as a mom, no matter how how much I advocated for my kids or how deeply I cared about my role and did my darndest to uphold my responsibilities within them, it was never enough to shore up my own sense of worth, of my identity, and my value. And I didn't understand why. This is where I found myself six months before my 30th birthday, lost and unfulfilled in the beautiful life I had always wanted. Who was I? I honestly did not know. What mattered to me? Well, beyond my roles and responsibilities, I could not tell you. I was no longer that ambitious, determined person I had been since my early childhood, that creative, performative, and smart girl I used to be. I wasn't reading anymore. I I wasn't creating anything beyond just my motherhood role. It was super painful for me to think about what I wanted in my life, to even consider what do I want. It was painful to consider that because what I truly wanted deep down seemed so darn impossible. I thought my time had long passed to study, to learn, to teach, to go back to school. My time had passed to become an artist or to be an interior designer or to become an an amazing athlete. My time had passed. I couldn't see how I could possibly be myself while also being a good wife, a good mom, a good follower of Christ. I was almost 30 years old and I felt like I had no choices and no real future to look forward to beyond my roles, beyond being a mom, changing diapers and breaking up fights and doing my duties at home and in my church. And then eventually facing a wall when my children all left to school or left the nest completely and my own status and my faith and within my home was just relegated to a purely supportive role. That future was not something I wanted and I didn't want to think about it. And I also didn't think want to think about what I really wanted. The future was not the person I wanted to be. It was someone else. And that hurt. I was in my own kind of purgatory. I was stuck in this limbo between who I was and who I wanted and who I knew I could be. And at the same time, I just wanted to be myself again. Back to that drive I told you about the very beginning. As I sat with that glowing screen of my calendar on my lap and the rain pelting around me, I found myself with a dawning realization. I just needed to do something to find myself again. Ahead of me, I saw a future I didn't like. I saw a person I didn't want to be. And I thought, well, maybe I can still find my way. Maybe I can still be myself again. And I started this by just thinking on that car ride about what are some things I can do before I turn 30? Things I had put off, things I told myself I was too late for, or interests that I had that I had had on the back burner for so long. And in that car ride, I created a list of 30 things I wanted to do before I turned 30. It was my humble attempt to uncover the old things that used to make me feel like myself, the ways to gently challenge myself or to give myself something to look forward to. That list included trips to a museum or going to 10 new restaurants with Brad, starting a blog so I could write again and use my brain in new ways, to even making 30 new recipes. I wrote the brainstorm of my list on my notes app in the car right then and there. And I began to work on my list and doing so was very messy and imperfect. None of what I did was something that was admirable or headline worthy. But as I began to slowly in bits and pieces, bring back parts of myself that had been missing. I also found myself uncovering a few things, both a semblance of myself and some major realizations. One of the biggest realizations I had happened while I was on a run, and I was thinking about what should I call my new blog before I started it. I usually think best when I run. I'd also recently returned back to therapy because I knew I needed help. And this therapist was the good kind, the the one who calls you out on your crap. And she was helping me see that I was still a perfectionist, even though I thought I didn't qualify as one anymore because I had no achievements to speak of. I wasn't going after big things. I wasn't obsessive. I was in fact a total non-achiever. But she helped me see that this perfectionism was taking center stage in many ways, one of them being how I kept people at arm's length. And I kept myself at arm's length too. On my run, I was contemplating this bitter pill while also thinking about 
this blog I wanted to start. And I really saw clearly for the first time I allowed myself to how this thread of perfectionism was there and how it was interwoven so firmly in every season of struggle of my life up until that point. There was a thread of perfectionism. There was this fear of failure, of being on the ground instead of being on a pedestal, of being human. And that was getting in the way of me living a richer, more fulfilling, and real life. I saw the thread for what it is, that my perfectionism, however long-standing and however different it looked from sage and season to season, this perfectionism was there. And it was a misplacement of who I was. It was a misplacement of my identity. I could now see this misplacement and how it was interwoven through the many losses of self that I experienced in my life up until that point. I misplaced my identity and I put it on my body, my appearance. I placed my identity on my perceived righteousness. I misplaced my identity onto my role and my responsibilities as a wife and a mother. I misplaced it on my achievements and my outcomes or my lack of my achievements or outcomes. I had misplaced my identity. I had misplaced my truest self. No wonder I felt so lost. And I knew on this run that it was now time for me to truly find myself again and to find it outside of perfectionism. I knew it was time to take on the greatest courage and determination I'd ever had in my life until then. To dare to be imperfect. To dare to try and to fail. And to not let those failures define me for the first time in my life. Nor to let my successes define me too. I decided to, t- to make my path about progress, not perfection. And as part of that, that is what I decided to name my blog about progress. And that blog was something that nobody read. But it's also what became my podcast that I started eight months in to this journey of uncovering myself about progress. This is a podcast that now has two million downloads plus and almost five years of work and hundreds of episodes and interviews in. This podcast has been part, just a small part, of the years of uncovering who I truly am. And I can honestly tell you that now I do know who I am and I know what matters to me. Along the way, I have faced innumerable failures and challenges to my newfound and uncovering identity. And every challenge has brought me back to these two essential questions. Who am I? What matters to me? As I slowly learned to answer these questions for myself and to support those answers with my choices, I have not only uncovered the self that I was missing over and over again, but I also found more fulfillment in the mess of that uncovering. I found true and lasting growth in sustainable ways instead of finding achievements and being better than people through these all or nothing pendulum swings I had attempted to grow myself through my whole life up until that point. I found the real process to growth. Life is still hard. And honestly, much of my life hasn't changed on the outside. I'm still mostly a stay-at-home mom with kids that fight more than they get along. I have to sweep the floor constantly and fold the laundry. And I have daily to bigger stressors that challenge me deeply and very little time to invest in myself and in my work with About Progress. But I can still tell you that while life is hard, I am stronger I feel more authentic to the self that was buried deep inside me for so long. And I've been able to bring back the real me, the real me that has unfolded so gradually over the past few years. I've been able to bring that me to my roles and my responsibilities. Instead of asking them to sustain and uphold my identity, I've been able to bring myself to them. I feel far more confident in what my value is, regardless of what I do and independent of what I I achieve. And I am able to better navigate making choices that align with who I am and what matters to me, rather than being confused by the expectations and the shoulds and the opinions around me. I have changed dramatically, but it's not because I've become a new person. It's because I've become me again.
That is what this course will do for you. Will you be able to completely have an uncovered self by the end of our six weeks together? No, I will never lie to you. No truly transformative growth is overnight. Good growth takes time. But with this course, you will have the tools you need to start uncovering that true, deeper identity still inside you. You'll be able to have both the knowledge and the know-how to get going on your path to leaning into progress over perfection. And with that path, you'll have the increase in authenticity, confidence, and alignment that will come as you uncover who you are. Maybe you are like me, and you can now see that you have experienced a misplacement of identity. Perhaps you lost your identity with ever good intentions to your career or to a relationship. Maybe your identity was misplaced to a role you held, perhaps as a mom or as a best friend or as a boss. Perhaps it was accidentally shifted over to your appearance or to your achievements or your lack of them. Maybe it slipped off to you rooting yourself firmly in perceived failures. Whatever way your identity has been misplaced, you are feeling the loss in that, and you're ready to find it again. What I have to teach you the next six weeks is both grounded in science and my own lived experience in modern day and ancient wisdom combined with my year's work with coaching women on this very path. What I have here is the foundation for you to start to uncover who you are, and with that, the strength you need to meet the challenges of life with the greatest armor and weapons you could ever have, a true abiding sense of self. Let's take you from lost to found. Oh my goodness, that was so fun to share that with you. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you connected with it. It's one of those things where you hesitate to share your story because you're like, who am I to share something so dumb and trivial? I didn't have like this big traumatic event happen to me. I've had so much given to me in my life. I've been so privileged in every way. And so who am I to share this story where I don't have a dramatic tale? But I think that it's most of us. All of us struggle. All of us do. All of us wonder why we matter and who we are. And if that's you and you can connect with this, then I know you are going to connect well with this course and that it will give you the tools you need to uncover who you are again. It's there for you for the taking. Go to aboutprogress.com forward slash finding me. Don't forget to use the code founder to get your 30% off until Thursday night on April 8th at midnight Pacific Standard Time. This course will always be available and it will always be there for you. And I will always be there for you too. If you want to know more, many more details are on the site aboutprogress.com forward slash finding me. Thank you so much for giving me your ears today for listening and for being there for me. And this is where I remind you now to go and do something with what you learned today. And remember, life is about progress, not perfection. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.